Okay. All right, good evening, everybody. Um, way number 14. I'm really excited about way number 14 because I think the first 13 uh, ways uh, were about how things that could complement and help the study that you're going to do. Tonight's way is actually about studying itself. So it's high time. 
So way number 14 in how to get wisdom. Now, I know there's definitely people on this. I think almost everybody, everybody on this call is, is wise. So we're, we're, uh, we're looking how to get wiser. So way, way number 14 is Mikra. Mikra literally means something that is red. Uh, when it's usually, the word mikra is usually used in, in, in the Talmud. It, it refers to the, um, the five books of Moses. That's usually what it refers to. So why, I mean, you would think any book you have to read, right? If we're talking about studying, you know, so this was certainly before uh, multimedia. So, of course, you're going to have to read something. Well, as uh, many of us know, in Judaism, for the vast majority of Judaism, there actually was most of the information was actually oral. At Mount Sinai, we were getting, I mean, Starting at Mount Sinai, we had oral law and we had a written law. So when we talk about here the um, written law, we're referring to Tanakh. Tanakh is an acronym. The letter Tuf, Ta, stands for Torah. The letter, uh, the, 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 the Nuh sound is Nevi'im, prophets. And the Ch at the end is Ketuvim, which is the writings. So the Old Testament, which I don't want to call it the Old Testament because it's, it's the Testament, whatever that is, the Torah, the, the, uh, the, the written Torah, the written authoritative works that we have in our, in our tradition. So they're comprised of, and they're, they're actually, it's, 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 worth, it's worthwhile to understand a little bit, um, you know, what it, what it is that we're reading. So the five books of Moses this is a dictation from God to Moshe. So every word in the five books of Moses is, is God's words. Actually, his words, they were dictated to Moshe. The prophets is were, were as the name says, were the were the um, written down by our most famous prophets, our most prolific prophets. And the prophets had, they only wrote down the prophets, uh, the information and the stories that would be helpful for the Jewish people in the future. So the words were divinely inspired. The prophecy, the messages came from God, but the exact choice of the words was whoever wrote that particular book. So you have the books of Samuel, you have the books of, you have, you have Ezekiel and, and uh, Jeremiah and all, all these. So it's extremely authoritative, but it's not considered as authoritative as the five books of Moses. On top of that, there's no new information. Everything that, everything that ever needed to be known, needed to know now or in the future is in those five books of Moses. The, the prophecies, um, it's, it's, it's messages. It's messages that are reinforcing things that were there earlier, maybe, maybe in a reformat, in a way that was needed for that generation, in a way that could perhaps be inspiring. But there's nothing new there as far as God's 
It's not like God remembered a few things later and said, hey, I forgot a few things. God didn't forget anything. He, t- he put every single thing in the Torah that was needed. Then we have the writings. What's the writings? Well, the writings includes Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, all the Megillahs, the book of Esther, the book of Job, the book of um, uh, all the all, book of Lamentations. So the purpose of those, they were also written with divine inspiration, but they weren't messages. In other words, it wasn't like, for example, with, uh, let's say, Samuel, right? God came to Samuel and said, Samuel, I want you to tell the Jews this. Jeremiah, I want you to tell the world this. And the prophet wrote it down in his own word, in his own words, inspired by God, but his own choice of words. The writings were written by prophets, so it's certainly the messages were from God, but it wasn't a message in a particular time where God said, for example, the book of Esther, right? Mordecai and Esther, who were clearly, who, who had prophecy and were divinely inspired, so they wrote down the whole story with messages for us, but it wasn't like, it wasn't in a, a, uh, a um, it wasn't a, it's not a redaction and a writing over of what God said to tell the Jewish people. And the same thing with Psalms. If you look through them, so that's just to get a, like a quick snapshot of what it actually is, um, our written tradition. Um, just a couple of points on it till we, till we learn a little more about it. The first thing on it is that the world recognizes the value of this book. It's been on the, it's been the bestseller and all over the world for many years continues to be if you go through you go through in western civilization all of the big names all, all the big all the big ideas the ideas that 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 uh, that make the, the the beautiful things in the world um, you know for example love your neighbor it's from the torah um, all men have have um, inalienable rights from the Torah. Um, you can keep going. You know, tolerance. Uh, um, am I my brother's keeper? Look at the United Nations. Not if you look. Not I saw a stat. Ninety-five percent of good ideas out there, and the quotes and all those things, and certainly in a country in in in, uh, in developed countries, uh, whether they're religious countries or not, they all come and and were influenced uh by the book by by this book the book that we need that that we have to read um you know look on the liberty bell right proclaim freedom throughout the land that's a quote so this is a pretty uh important book that we have which was given to the jewish people now we 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 can share it with the world but it was given as a present to the jewish people and now we and that means if it's such an important book, if we want to be wise, we need to be giving attention to this book. You can't possibly, or you could, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the simplest, um, most direct way to get wisdom. You know, certainly, you know, then the question is, some might say, well, did it come from God? So obviously we could talk about that forever, but that's not the, not the focus of tonight, but just the uh, 30 seconds on it, at least 50% of the world 
uh, Christians and Muslims both agree that this book came from God. All traditional um, uh, Jews believe that. In fact, all Jews believe that uh, with, uh, until about 200-something years ago. Uh, there's always a few here and there, but as far as, far as the Jews as a people. So this is a at least something which deserves a tremendous amount of consideration and attention. So, um, I, the, I, I can't help but give the, um, the analogy that uh, Rabbi Noach Weinberg gives. He said, let's say NASA would, would uh, you know, in all their, all their exploration in outer space, and they would, find, they would all of a sudden, they would get a, some message that came out from the solar system, from the Milky Way. And they would, they would bring the message back down to Earth. Now, everyone would argue whether it was true or not true, but everyone would clamor and try to, try to wrap their head around it. Well, we have something from the creator of the universe, and it's to be taken extremely seriously. And if one wants to be wise, uh, it's really uh, it's an understatement to call it beating around the bush. <laughs> if we have, we have, the, um, we have the manual right here. So let's talk about what, so, okay, we got this great book, incredible book. How do we access it and how are we going to get wise from using it? So the first point goes without saying is that we have to, if you want to be wise from this book, well, you got to familiarize yourself with the book. Just what? is the basic book, the stories, the laws, the ideas, just, you know, just to understand it, understand it, to know it, to work it through, to puzzle yourself through it. That, that, that's just the baseline. Um, it's, you know, but like, you know, you know, in any field, in any area of knowledge, just the basic, like someone wants to become a doctor and they don't have a basic biology, understanding of biology, you can't get past go. You can't possibly expect to know how to do surgery if you don't know uh, the heart from the stomach. So that's that's number one. Number two is if you have information and you don't have it at your fingertips, you don't you can't you don't have any access to it. I mean, short of having a photographic memory, it's relatively not helpful. It doesn't help you be a wise person. So what you want to do is, like in anything, in any field, you, we have to find a way to organize it. Now, we're in luck that Hashem and our tradition over the years, are, as a people, we've done a, done a lot of it has been organized for us. But for every person, everyone's brain works a little different. You want to take what's there and make it personal so you can actually remember it. So simply put, let's again, we're going to focus on the five books of Moses because everything's in there. Well, first thing we got divided, we, we divide into five books, right? There's 52 portions. It's not so big anymore. Kind of break it down. There's 674 chapters, even smaller. Whenever one studies one of those chapters, either whether it's within English or, or a Hebrew, when you read it or you hear a story about it, or you hear, let's say, even when we talk about the Parsha, you think about it for a minute afterwards, and you summarize it for yourself, even in one word, like what, right? 
Okay, now here is probably what I feel, for me at least, when I was studying this, the most helpful, because what we said so far is obvious. You got to read the book, right? The third thing I want to focus on is we need to, to, as much as we can, get the clutter out of the way. So we can actually, it's like if someone would pick up a phone and have no clue how to turn it on, and think that the phone is a ridiculous thing. Well, like anything that's sophisticated, um, there is, uh, the, the Torah is no different. And uh, there are mistakes and pre prejudices that doesn't mean we have to jump in hook, line and sinker and just blindly um, you know, believe everything. What we do need to do is appreciate that in any field, there's there's tools and there's things that it can get in the way. If a person, does it, for example, let's say someone is doing a chemi uh, chemistry and their hands aren't clean and they end up getting some ingredients in there that mess up the whole thing. So this is a few common prejudices or preconceived notions that a, that will that would make it that a person wouldn't necessarily walk away from Torah with with such wisdom because it's kind of like there's a famous story, I think it's uh, I'm not uh, I'm someone I know some people here know France much better than I do, but I think it's is it the Lorva, the the big famous mu museum in France, Trave, what is it? It's called Le Louvre. Okay, however she said it. Yeah. Right. So, so that so there was a famous person who went. Is that where the Mona Lisa is? Yes. Okay. All right. So someone went to the Mona Lisa, and they and they had, wore glasses, and they came back and they they told their friends, you know, I didn't see anything. You know, everywhere I looked in the, especially the Mona Lisa, it looked like uh, it looked blurry. It looked didn't look so nice. And his friend says, you know what? You should take your glasses off took his glasses off and there was some some sour milk caked on the glasses and he's like of course you didn't, you didn't see the beauty of the Mona Lisa and all these other things there he said in Yiddish you're looking at Zayer milk or cooked up Zayer milk so um, so we can decide afterwards whether we like it or not but if we didn't see it so one, one thing to just we kind of said it is that the, on this book, traditionally, and the way we're looking orienting towards it, is that it is messages from God. That's what that that's what it is. You know, and there's we know tons of Bible critics and all kinds of other things, but if it's certainly not going to have very it's going it's, it's not going to have so much wisdom if we don't look at it as that it's messages from God because. What happens is, to, is today we trivialize, many of the stories are trivialized, many of the details are trivialized. I'll, I'll give an example. There's a famous uh, area of Bible critique that says, well, look, you know, if you look throughout the Torah, it refers to God in, with 10 different names. Sometimes it says Elokeinu, sometimes it says Shakai. Sometimes it says kale. Sometimes it says the one that has four letters. Another one. There's ten different ways. So many Bible critics say, "One second, this book must is not just from one guy. This book's from all over the place." Well, 
I don't have such a, uh, in my high school, I don't know if we spent that much time on this, but I did do some of Shakespeare. A few of the, you know, even in my yeshiva high school, we did, you know, the basic Shakespeare's. And if you read Shakespeare, he's always referring to God in different ways. He doesn't just always use the word God. So, unfortunately, if one wants to look at the Torah and assume this book is not from God, there's many ways, things you can point to, to, to try to make your case, but they're not very persuasive. And what they allow one to do is to ignore the wisdom in it. So, really, if one wants to access the wisdom, even if one is not sold, let's say right now, that the books are from God, but... If you want to try to get that wisdom, you have to at least have that orientation towards it. And then maybe a different discussion to have is the, the authenticity of the book. There's some great books. Permission to Receive is phenomenal. I highly recommend reading that if anyone has, anyone, actually everyone should read that book. I read it recently. It really strengthened my, my uh, appreciation. Um, you know, if the biggest idea, again, I want to get too, too, too focused on this, is that the, the, our tradition says we have a national revelation. The, the most of the world believes it happened. We have an unbroken tradition about it. And um, so that's the first one. Got to orient, want to get the wisdom, treat it how, it's, it's, how it is. I would say uh, prejudice number two is what the hippies did in the 60s. Not all hippies. There were a lot of wonderful hippies. They called all hippies. This is a mistake the man made. So in the magazine Vanguard, which they had an interview with some hippies who were looking for something to feel good with, and they went to the book of Song of Songs. It's all about love. And what they did is they were in a commune and they had, you know, just to familiarize with the book Song of Songs, King Solomon wrote it. And what it is, is it's a love song, a love story where it's really meant, it's, it's meant, it describes a man and a woman, but it's referring to God's relationship with mankind. So, uh, and it was all messages from God. It's all about, you know. So... This magazine interviewed these people from this commune, and what they did was they had the men read all the men lines in the book, and they kind of acted it out like a play. They had the men reading the men lines and women reading the women lines, and a woman was quoted after having done this exercise that they said, you know what, finally, there's a lot, there's a part of the Bible that was written by a woman because they said there's no way this this book is so accurate in the way it describes the feelings that a woman has it couldn't possibly have been written by a man right so the point i'm trying to bring out is is that if you think the book was written by people it just has a such limited wisdom and um you're not going to now. Now, the challenge is, 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 is who is the editor of the book of the song of the songs? If there was a woman, if, 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 if the position says that only a woman 
could understand these lines, so it had to be a woman who wrote it. But maybe God wrote it. It didn't entertain the possibility. Another example, famous, there's a world, the, the, there's a book, it's a very worthwhile read. It's called The World in Collision, written by a famous philosopher, Vilikovsky. And he agree. he doesn't say the stories in the, in, in the Torah, like this week's Parsha, the Ten Plagues, next week's Splitting of the Red Sea. He doesn't, he doesn't deny them, but he takes the time to explain them all through science. The most famous one is he says, how did this, the parting of the Red Sea happen? A comet came down just as the Jewish people were being pushed by the Egyptians. And lo and behold, they look in, the comet falls and the, sea, and the Red Sea parts and the Jews say, wow. They jump in and just so happens to be as soon as they get out of the Red Sea, the comet uh, parts and and the sea goes back and that's how he explains the manna the manna this you know the uh the every day in the morning the jews for 40 years they they have they eat they had this spiritual slash physical food and he says that was leftover stuff in the heavens from the comet and there was there was there, there was petroleum and then and it was pre-digested protein and with bacteria his whole thing now the problem is is that he doesn't really um he doesn't account for many of the details of the manna. Uh, there's, and this is where if a person doesn't take the time to study something through, you can say anything you want. Um, one is that we know that on Friday, this is why we have two breads on Shabbos. We have two challahs. We have two challahs because on Friday they were t- double the amount of man there. Well, this, this Volkovsky doesn't account for that. He also doesn't account for the fact that somehow a person can have it taste like whatever they want. Now, that doesn't work if it's just pre-digested protein with petroleum and bacteria that was stuck in the heaven and came down, just so happened to only come down in the morning every day and stopped and, and started at a certain time and stopped right when the Jews went to Israel. So the point is that, that if a person has all these preconceived notions and you look at the Torah, you can easily dismiss the wisdom there, um, as many people do. So Torah, the Torah is not, it is a history book, but it's a, it's a, it's not just a history book. It's, it's, this, if it was a history book, there is so many details missing. It, it is like no pattern to it in that, in that way. The only way to understand uh, put your head around the Torah is is if you look at it that it's in, it's a Torah schayim. It's the point of the book is that it's instructions for living. It's not stories, and uh, so if we want to appreciate the book, we have to try to soften any attitudes we have about miracles and how things have to fall into the realm of science, how they have to make sense to us. Again, a person can deal with those. That is something a person could deal with. But if a person wants to appreciate the book for what it's worth, that is the, the, the position, the platform that the book is coming from. I'll give an example how all the stories that, that we read, every single story is a lesson. I'll tell you one such story. Famous story, the beginning of Genesis Abraham uh, is very hot outside. There's no guests. 
God's talking to Abraham, and Abraham sees three men walking in the uh, in the desert. What does he do? He says, "God, excuse me, I gotta take care of the guests." Excuse me. Well, even if an atheist, if, it, if it, an atheist who doesn't believe in God, but I think they would say, if there is a God, then God's the most important. You don't say, "Excuse me, God," right? <laughs> but yet, we see that that God was happy with that. And the message is that more important than spending time with God is being like God. And being like God means taking care of people. This world is one big, um, you know, hospitality situation. And if a person gives to people, a person takes care of people, that's the most godly thing that we can do. And the stories are there to delve into. And the commentators do this. We rip them apart and we try to understand them. And it's there to teach us something. That's that. So everyone has their own things that get in the way. It's more worthwhile. Yeah, I'm not saying to be brainwashed on. I'm saying you can, all those things, you can work out them and try to come to understanding of it. But when you're trying to read the book, you really will get very little wisdom from it if you aren't looking at it through the um, prism that it's intended to be looked at. Okay. So you're going to buy the book. You're going to read the book. So, even if you're not going to understand everything about it, but at least we need to study it in an intelligent, methodical, serious way. When you when you when you speed read, when you when you jump around, you, it's not it's not the way you read something that that intelligently. Meaning, when you read something, you really read it, you understand it, and it makes some sort of sense. Even if you're not going to look at all, all, all the commentaries. You should look at the commentaries. But just even without the commentaries, just reading it and um, reading it intelligently. I'll just take a verse. Take one verse to show you what I mean. It says towards the end of Deuteronomy, um, see, I put before you Life and life and death, blessing and curses, choose life. That's the verse. So what does it mean to see? What is what does that mean? See. What do you mean? You're seeing life and death in front of you? Well, see means you have to have clarity. Then it says before you. Where's it mean before you? Before you means it's relevant. And then it gets black and white. Life and death, curse and blessings. And it says choose life well if you try to put all it's very cryptic so many verses are cryptic and we just like we, we can we can be honest to know we're, we're not reading them intelligently you know the simple message of that of that verse is that we are black and white to some degree we we don't we we need to feel meaningful we don't we don't want to live a life when, if a person for a when, we can't tolerate feeling meaningless. That's how you can have people who life is is relative is generally good, but because that we have moments of feeling meaningless, of feeling purposeless, we can get throw ourselves into a depression so fast. How people can do crazy things so fast, just, just from short moments, short spurts of feeling meaningless. We can't handle that for a second. And God, that's the message that God, that the Torah has for us. The Torah has for us that, that 
we are so important. There's not one second of our lives that's meaningless. Now, what do we do? We play solitaire. We play, not saying these things are always a problem, but we can play endless hours of solitaire. We can play endless hours of Candy Crush. We can, we, we run, we get angry. We, we play all kinds of mindless games, which to some degree could be, um, you know, something a person has to relax. But uh, a lot of it is, is that we all want pleasure. We all want awareness and we all want our meaning. So you don't want to have that feeling if it's not there. So either you have it or you numb it out. Now, again, again I'm not saying one's more important than the next, but the Torah has all kinds of techniques and rules and, and tools about how to extract the information, right? In a kitchen, you have all kinds of uh, things. When a person does tech work, they have all kinds. Uh, a mechanic, doctors, accountants, lawyers, uh, archivists, machinists, whatever, teachers, whatever, whatever you're a human being in society, we all have tools. The Torah has a method to it. There's rules to learn. How do I, how do I read a verse? How do I understand certain words? How do I understand um, generalities and, and, and seemingly re seeming redundancies and repetition and, and uh, you know, all of this, all kinds of rules, which aren't that hard, I guess, but, and if a person doesn't know them, you can read a verse and you can uh, think it means so little. Okay. So you're going to orient yourself towards the book properly. You learn some of the tools you try to put away whatever prejudices you might have, preconceived notions. So what do you do now? Well, the first thing you do is you want to start with the basics for life. You know, the ones we hear, ones we see in the Constitution, the ones you see everywhere. Love love thy neighbor. What is that? You think love thy neighbor is this like simple concept? I guarantee you we could spend every day studying for the next year just on the practical implications of what the Torah means when it says love thy neighbor. What does that mean? What does that mean? What is what? I'll tell you the simple one. Maimonides says it means that you have to actually cultivate a love for other people the same as yourself. Nachmanides says that's ridiculous. I can never love someone as much as I love myself. It means I have to treat someone as much as I love myself. That's just simple, basic. You look in Rashi and Tosavis. We're not even, there's so many ramifications of this simple line that the whole world throws around, love thy neighbor. Let's say there's a contradiction in physical need versus spiritual need. Or what you think you need and what I think you need. What's love thy neighbor mean? So we can do that with every single thing in the Torah. We can do that. It starts with the basic ideas. But it's a good idea to do that. So after you... The basic ideas in life, you learn those ideas, you analyze those ideas. The next thing is start looking at the stories. Start looking at, at the stories which appear to be meaningless. The flood. What do we need to hear, hear about the flood for? You study the story of the flood. You learn a lot of the laws and a lot of the philosophies of how to treat other people. The story of Saddam. Why do we need that story for? It's a message. Well, the basic message there is you can't be callous towards other needs. God understands. We get selfish sometimes. But the worst thing God says, he doesn't want someone to not care, 
right? Someone doesn't this doesn't care about someone else. That's that's horrible. We all are selfish, not because we don't care. It's because at the moment we're thinking more about ourselves. But if someone in principle is callous towards others' feelings, another major message. You know, we have the tree of knowledge, and we have the tree of life. And what did God say? God said, don't eat the tree of knowledge. Everything else is fine. It tells us about two trees, right? Tree of knowledge, tree of life. You know what? The tree of knowledge, right? The tree of knowledge represented knowledge based on experience. And the tree of life represented knowledge through Torah. And what Hashem was teaching us from the very beginning is that it's not smart to just learn from experience. We, it's like taking a kid and not teach them anything about the world and just dropping them in a forest and see what happens. What, what, what is, how does society raise children? Even animals do this to some degree, but, but human beings do it to a much larger degree, is that we first give information. We learn information, and then that information we can learn from experiences so much better. Most of us do the opposite. Travel the world, try this, try that, make 10 billion mistakes, and then start again. Well, the Torah says, no, no, no. It's not the smart way to do it. I just was having this conversation with someone last night. They said, why why do, why are we, in, in Judaism at least, and why are we so nervous of exposing ourselves to certain things, certain situations? And I, he's like, why, if, if, if Judaism was so compelling, why would we be influenced by something that we don't agree with? And the answer is, well, at a certain point, maybe to some degree. But, uh, but that's not what the message of Sam says. The message of Sam says is learn objectively and then learn take that and learn learn from from experiences when you want with with the information that that you have let's kind of wind down over here um it says in the torah lo davar reikumikam some commentators explain that it means there's nothing empty in the torah there's nothing trivial Every single word, every single nuance, the way to orient towards it is that there is something important to learn there. And if a person doesn't have that orient, it's like if someone would open up, see a switchboard, say, oh, I'll try move this switch, move that switch, it doesn't matter. Well, no, well, every single thing in the Torah is really important and it really, 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 really matters. You take away anything, you, it's like moving a wire. It's like moving a, 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 a some kind of strobe in someone's brain or something, right? And the opposite also. There's no wisdom that if you looked hard enough, you couldn't find it in the Torah. I'm not saying you find it right away. But wisdom about relationships, about business, about life, about there's nothing in the Torah. Nothing that's not there. You got to dig. You got to re-research. You got to access people who know more than you. A couple more points to kind of fly through here. Time's running out. Is this is not an easy thing, but it's easier than you think. And that we, um, second, 
we uh, we um, we we don't realize how much we lose in translation. If at all possible, it, one of the best investments a person could make is reading and understanding Hebrew, if at all possible. If it's not possible or not practical, we need to at least appreciate that we lose something in the translation. There's And, that, and, and just to appreciate that. And maybe that's why if a person can't do that, they have to access a mentor. They have to access people who are able to do that because especially Hebrew, there's so many layers and so many specific understandings from the Hebrew itself. And just, you know, it's the name God, right? <laughs> All the time it says God, basically it says God. Well, every time it says the word God in a different way, it means something else. There's endless words like that. So that's just an appreciation that has to be had. Um, and lastly, it's something you have to review a lot. Even someone who knows the Torah backwards and forward is actually a commandment every week to review the Torah four times each week Torah portion. Three times before Shabbos starts and once together in Shul. So, lastly, the Torah is a lifelong learning. It's not a Hebrew school thing. It's not something you learn the story in kindergarten and you're done. It's something that, in order to get it properly, just it's it's a lifetime. And if you know it, you don't know it enough. You keep going and going and going and going. So I think it's obvious how this is the way to wisdom, because it's where wisdom starts. You know, you can have all the other things, and if you don't access the wisdom, you won't be wise. So we got to read it from beginning to end. And anyway, and if you again, if you can't read Hebrew, and it's something, at least get an authentic. Jewish translation. There are so many not authentic translations out there, and especially online, there's even more of them now. And so many of them come from agendas or miseducation. I mean, the one that's pretty widespread now, which is considered very authentic, is the Stone Chumash, Stone Chumash from Arshkel. I'm not saying there aren't other ones, but that's become extremely popular and user friendly. But even that, if you look in the, and I'm sure whoever wrote it will, will tell you that, you know, that you lose a lot in translation. And we have to look at the Torah that it's a, it's God's instructions for living. We got to understand it. And this, understand that this book changed the world more than anything else. And just keep asking questions. You know, there's a lot to, a lot to, lot to understand there. All the details matter organize it, review it, integrate it, update it. I mean, the updating, it doesn't mean change it, God, God forbid. But as your life changes, look back at the Torah, see, oh, this is what the Torah told me when I was 25. Whoa, I'm 45. What does the Torah say about it now? And then 65, 85, the Torah, it, it, it's not, it's not that what, what, you, what you learned in kindergarten, you obviously, for anything else in life, you got to get an upgrade. The Torah's got it. The Torah has everything. The Torah is really the essence of Judaism. That is. 
It's the essence of wisdom, the essence of Judaism, the, the essence of us. And here's a cool little little exercise. So we see this 48 ways to wisdom. Look at the first paragraph of Shema. 48 words. Try to figure out which way of wisdom, because they, they line up, corresponds to each word. If you figure out all 48, we'll give you rabbinic coordination. I don't think I could do it. Um, you should be able to get at least 10. If you get 20, that's incredible. But uh, that, that, that's a great example. Here's all these 48 ways to wisdom. They're in our Jewish national anthem. So we're well on our way to becoming wise. Let's use the book. Here's, this. Here's the book. Have a great week, and uh, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Have a good week.